Hi. What's up? Is it prime time? It's crime and time. <laughs> All the racks? So we do have actually a time theme cocktail today. Time theme, woohoo, my jam. So we're drinking prime time. Prime time. And time being T-H-Y-M-E. I'm very excited to have a drink with muddled time in it. Yay! So we're drinking, as I mentioned, prime time. It's two ounces of gin or vodka. You have vodka. vodka. I have gin. Yes, because we're very different people. Yeah. A three-quarter ounce of lemon juice, a dash of citrus bitters. I used orange because that's what I had. Uh, four, four sprigs of fresh thyme. Muddled. Half a teaspoon of ginger syrup and lemon and a sprig of thyme for garnish. So, okay. The list of ingredients sounds like I will like it. I don't, I don't know. So I'm, I'll try it. But I, well, I'll try it and I'll finish it. But I don't know if I'll well, like totally. it. Well, yeah. totally. I did not like the last seven cocktails that we made but i've drank in all of them except for the irish sea next tuesday yeah that one was gross it was so gross but the episode is really cool go back and listen so in this cocktail what you're gonna do is there's instructions for drinking it no for making it so oh, okay that you're gonna put in sense. the ginger syrup the lemon juice and the thyme and muddle that in the shaker then put your ice in then your vodka or your gin Shake it and then double strain it because you don't want to get chunks of time. Right, like yours has because you put a pretty little garnish on it for the photo. Yeah, I do have a chunk of time in mine, but it's from the (laughs) garnish. And so, yeah, pour that into your glass and then you top with a drop of your bitters. Okay, I kind of want to try mine with the vodka and then try yours with the gin. Okay, same. Okay. Okay, I'm going to try mine. Okay, vodka. Mmm. I like it. It's very fresh. Yeah. Very, very fresh. Very summery. Okay, try mine. Okay. There's vodka. I like mine better. I like mine better. Yours is, it's, it's still fresh, but mine, I don't know. It's, yours is gin. I like gin. There's gin. Whew, you'd like that. It's gin. Let me try one more drink and then I'll describe (laughs) it. Okay. It's gin. So I like, the thyme is not too overwhelming. It's assertive, but the lemon juice cuts through that a lot. So. See, mine is 100% summer. It tastes like summer. It's very fresh and it just feels like when it goes down your throat, it just feels like this waterfall of cool. It is very cooling, I'll say. Yeah. It, it tastes like that. summer. I like it. I like it. I like it too. Hey, we have a cocktail that we liked. How long has that been? We both liked it. I know. That's crazy. It's been a while. It's been a minute since we both really I, enjoyed our cocktail. I think it has been for sure. Remember the Russian one when we each drank two or three of them? Yeah, not the heavy cream and the chocolate. Yeah, that was the Russian bear (laughs) cocktail. So good. That was delicious. And then my other favorite is the Silk Road. The Silk Road was pretty good, I think. I don't remember for sure. It's the one with the grapefruit and the star anise. Oh yes, I like that one. Yeah, and it's pretty. Yes, it's very beautiful. But this is cool. This is summer. This is for sure summer. So there's not a lot of prime time going on in summer, but if there were, what would you tell me about? Oh, I'm going to tell you about prime time. I'm going to tell you about the start of prime time, maybe. Okay, because there w- clearly there's a start of prime time. There's I just never of time. thought of it before. Oh my God, I'm so excited about this. This Okay, I'm mildly obsessed with the topic of my podcast right now. I found my information from Wikipedia because I'm lazy. Um, countryliving.com, mentalfloss.com, famefocus.com, buzzfeed.com, and earth this and that. Lots of information, but this is cool. Okay. Okay, so you've heard of people having a baby to save their marriage? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. How about if instead of having a baby to save your marriage, you start the most watched TV show ever, found a hugely successful movie and TV studio, and changed the face of television forever? All to save your marriage. I mean, that seems reasonable. That seems pretty simple, actually. (laughs) Totally simple. Well, that is what Lucy Ball and Desi Arnaz did. Okay. 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 Sock it to me. All right. Lucy and Desi met on the set of Too Many Girls, very ironically named given Desi's proclivity for Too Many Girls. So they were acting together? They were acting together in Too Many Girls. So Desi was on the Broadway production of Too Many Girls. And when they moved it to, they decided to do a movie of it, they RKO brought him in 
to do the movie and they made his love interest they hired Lucy to be his love interest in the movie hmm, interesting yeah so there's a five year different different age difference between the couples um, she was five years older than him but they instantly fell in love and she this was interesting because she typically dated men that were older than her and taller than her and Desi was neither oh no <laughs> But they absolutely loved each other. And her friend Rita Lee actually quoted as saying he made her happy. Um, she completely doted on him. She was normally a very strong, independent woman. But with Desi, she was the quintessential housewife. She just absolutely fawned all over him. Lucy. Lucy. So um, when filming of Too Many Girls wrapped, Desi went out on a promotional tour. And Lucy goes back to her life and back to modeling and whatnot. And she hears rumors of him canoodling with his old flame, Betty Grable. I would not want to have that as competition, but, you know. So Lucy hears this, and she shows up at his mother's house. She shared, she, he shared a home with his divorced mother. And, oh, I forgot to talk about that often. Remind me. Remind me about tax evasion. Okay. Just say I'll that. remind you. Just say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alexa. <laughs> So she goes to the house, she walks in, and she starts hitting him about the head and saying, you Cuban son of a bitch. <laughs> so Ricky was very perplexed. He didn't know what to do. He was, you know. You called him Ricky. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Oh, my God. I'm going to do that so many times over the course of this episode. Desi was perplexed. He did not know what to do. He loved Lucy, but this was, you know, it's what you do. Yeah. You fool around. It's what you do. So he says, hey, I know what I'll fix our relationship. Let's get married. That always works. It always works. So that's what they did. Six months after they met, the 28-year-old Lucy and the 23-year-old Desi eloped to Connecticut. Now, husband and I eloped to Reno, but they eloped to Connecticut. So I'm not sure if Connecticut was like the marriage capital of the East Coast or what the deal was. Yeah, I don't know too much about Connecticut except for like Yale's there. That's about it. Apparently, you can get married easy there, too, like we did in Reno. But anyway, so they eloped to Connecticut, and they have um, issues from the second, from the very second. Um, and a lot of time, that, so they had multiple miscarriages throughout their life. And the mother, um, Desi's mother, who was very, very Catholic, despite being divorced, and I didn't really understand that, said that most of their, all of their problems stemmed from the fact that they didn't have a church wedding. So they had a church wedding. And to make mom happy. Well, did it work? Well, Lucy and Desi. Lucy Jr. and Desi Jr. is what, what I was referring to. But anyway, so their lives were complete craziness and schedulers are opposite. Desi's coming home from the band. From Desi Arnaz Jr. Desi Arnaz Jr. Brady Bunch reference. <laughs> Jinx! <laughs> oh my God, we're children of the 80s. So he is coming, he's still working as a band leader and he's coming home at like three or four in the morning and Lucy's still working as a movie um, actress and so she's going to work at three or four in the morning to go to hair and makeup. So they actually did get pregnant right away and she said that they, her joke was, well, I had him where I wanted him in the Sepulveda Tunnel for a while or something <laughs> like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So start of their marriage was pretty rough. They had lots of miscarriages and Desi, like I said, was not the most faithful of husbands, but I think that was kind of a thing at the time with you know so they separated for a little while in 1944 and Lucy actually filed for divorce but they made up and they decided to try and make their professional lives intersect so remember that phrase they want their professional lives okay. to intersect so Lucy was working okay I'll remind you <laughs> <laughs> yes Alexa thank you um, Lucy was working on a half an hour radio sitcom in 1948 called My Favorite Husband. It was about, I know this is really original, a crazy wife of a Minneapolis banker and her antics with her older best friend, who was also her husband's boss's wife. Wait, that sounds familiar. Little familiar. So it was produced and written by Jess Oppenheimer for CBS. Um, Lucy... Given that it was a radio program, it allowed her to do other things. Like she was able to star in other movies um, with Bob Hope while she was doing My Favorite Husband. And this just further cemented her reputation as a comic. Um, when Lucy first, I'm not going to get so much into Lucy and Desi's lives, 
But when Lucy first went into show business, she was a model. She was very beautiful. And she was a blonde and then she became a redhead and blah, blah, blah. But she finally found that she had incredible comedic timing. She was not an ad-libber. She was very much into saying the words that were written for her. But her delivery was perfect. Like she was just funny. Yeah, because most, if you think of most comics nowadays, they are an ad like they Mm -hmm. think quickly they can like come up with the joke before anybody else can it's a different type that wasn't lucy's skill her skill was taking your lines and making them funny which is also really important it is it is and she was a very um physical comedian her facial expressions were incredible so she they they toyed with the cbs was toying with the fact of, of the idea of making my favorite husband into a tv show they originally wanted her and her co-star richard denning to bring it to tv in 1950 well lucy says hey professional lives intersect i don't want richard denning i want desi so she says hey i would like my husband to be my husband on the show and uh, now no one is going to buy the fact that this beautiful all-American redhead girl is married to a Cuban. And she said, oh, yeah? And so she and um, they sent their um, writer, Bob Carroll, the writers of My Favorite Husband, Bob Carroll and Madeline Pugh, they wrote for My Favorite Husband. They said, hey, write us a sketch. And so they wrote them a vaudeville-style sketch that they took on the road with Desi's band over the summer. Killed absolutely hysterical everybody loved it they thought it was the greatest thing ever so it was the just the two of them just the two of them did this act so the whole thing was based on she shows up he's leading the band and she walks in in the middle of the band with her cello for her audition (laughs) in the middle of the performance and she's like i'm here to audition and it just went from there and it was absolutely hysterical because they were they were comedy gold together they were amazing together and so yeah it's a hit they showed it to one of the producers and he said yeah i get it i got it so they originally wanted to make the show with more mirroring more mimicking their actual lives and then they decided no that's no good let's make them more of an everyday type couple so now they've got a show they ordered a pilot this is i interestingly right at the beginning of the birth of their show lucy is very, very pregnant with their first child, Lucy, i.e. And um, so they had to kind of put off production and wait until the baby was born. Um, But because the baby was born, they sort of wanted to stay where they were, and that will be important in a minute. So they ordered a show, they ordered a pilot in March of 1951. Lucy's very pregnant with her first child. I kind of wonder if it shows in the pilot. I've only seen the pilot once, I think, because it's not one that's normally done. It was shot differently than the rest of the shows, and so it didn't... Um, it doesn't go with the rest go, of the collection. Yeah, it doesn't go into syndication quite as much because of the way it was shot. So the way things were shot at the time, it was, it was very popular. CBS loved it, blah, blah, blah. But the way things were shot at the time, I don't remember if I put this here or if I put it later. Lucy was pregnant with the first child, radio show coming close. They used so they used the same writers that they used in their radio show. The Opp- Jess Oppenheimer and Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll. And those are important because they later get percentages of the show. Um, the, they loved the pilot. They shopped it around. Nobody was really that interested. Um, the Milton H. Bio Agency was bought it, and they said, okay, we'll find something. And they originally found the Philip Morris Company to sponsor the show. So smoking, obviously popular in the late 40s, early 50s, and that was fine. Problem, this is Philip Morris, Lucy smokes Chesterfields. So when you watch the shows, everybody smokes on the show. Like, it's constant. You always see people with a cigarette in their hand. All of the Philip Morris packages that you see around the set are filled with Chesterfields. Oh, my gosh. So she had somebody that would go and put those in. And also, you never hear anyone say the word lucky in an I Love Lucy episode ever. Because lucky strike. That's a little too much, I think. Like, 
you can't just be like, wow, that's really lucky that nope. you're here. Because that's Lucky Strike and they're Philip Morris. That's crazy. Yeah. So they really took it very seriously. But so Philip Morris is their main sponsor. Um, before they shoot their the pilot, they have to find their best friends because the other show had the older couple that Lucy played off of. And originally, Lucy wanted her friend Gail Gordon and B. Burdett, who had played the friends in the radio show, to be the Mertzes, is what they ended up calling them. She used her... All of the, the people in the show's names were real-life people from her life. I do not... I did not write it down. I should have. But every... It went through a list of all of the different names of people. And this was Lucy's kindergarten teacher. This was Lucy's friend in school. This was um, Jess Oppenheimer's doctor or whatever. But all of the people... All the names were all from real life like people real life, that the, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. main core people knew. So I'm not sure where the merchants came from. But so they could not get the people that Lucy wanted. William Frawley's name was banned about for Fred Mertz, the, the older man character. But he didn't really fit. He was a little older and frumpier than what was called for. Desi, however, really liked William Frawley. He kind of believed in him so much that he had them sort of retool the character to be less financially successful and a little more curmudgeon to fit William Frawley a little bit more. But he was a drunk. He was had a horrible drinking problem and they were very concerned. So Desi wrote it into the contract that if he showed up to the set more than once, he was given one time his grace, but more than once in an inebriated state, he would be instantly fired. Oh, interesting. He never did. His his drinking never interfered with shooting. Now, he and um, Vivian Vance, who played Ethel, did not get along. They hated each other. That interfered with shooting. He had a hard time memorizing his lines. That interfered with shooting. But his alcoholism never actually did. It was interesting, though, because he and Desi became just great, great friends. William Frawley would get so frustrated with his lines and would have to, you know, start over and be repeated. And that's in, that comes into play when I talk about what, how they did the show more so. And Ricky, or Desi, strike that, Ricky, the character, Desi, the actor, would look at the script once, put it down, had it. Oh. Yeah. He was amazingly brilliant. Yeah. Amazingly brilliant. And so it's interesting that the two became friends because they were such opposite on that scale. Um, Lily, Lucy's first choice for Ethel Mertz was her friend Barbara Pepper, who was a Goldwyn girl with her. So Goldwyn girl, they were big time models. She was gorgeous. But she also had a drinking problem, and but she made several guest appearances of the show. All of the people that Lucy wanted to be on the show made guest appearances on the show as, as time went on, because it was very long-lived. It was ran for seven seasons. They finally decided on Vivian Vance. She was a Broadway star that one of the directors, Mark Daniels, had worked with. She hated William Farley. She did not understand why she had to play opposite a man who was 22 years older than her. She didn't think that their marriage Because uh, she looked old, suited. too. She did, but they made her look that way. Okay, so she and Lucy were either close to the same age or one of them was younger than the other one, but Lucy had always gone by this, um, there can only be one leading lady. So at first, and I can't believe Vivian Vance went along with this, but they dressed her in frumpier clothes and they made her makeup so that she looked older and frumpier than Lucy, so that Lucy was the pretty one. Yeah. In the later episodes, the ones where it's the hour long, they kind of let go of some of that and, and Vivian Vance was able to be pretty because in some of the episodes you can see that she's very pretty but they completely downplayed her figure and they downplayed her features because lucy needed to be the pretty one yeah which i love her and she's amazing and i don't want to say disparaging things against her but i can sort of see i don't know anyway she and lucy didn't belong at first get along at first partly because you know she was young and but then they eventually ended up becoming they frumped her up, and they eventually ended up becoming very good friends. Um, the TV at the time, okay, so this is where it gets, where Ricky's genius is going to shine. At the time, most people that owned television sets were on the East Coast. That's just kind of where, east of the Mississippi was where most of the television sets were owned. Okay. 
Like not in the Wild West. Not in the Wild West. The Wild West in the 1940s, 50s. But it's just what it was. So most shows were done in New York. They were filmed live. And then for later rebroadcast, they were filmed in kinescope onto a 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter film that was not filmed of the actors doing the action, but it was filmed off of a monitor showing the action. Okay. And then they would take that film and mail it to LA for LA to show on their stations. That's terrible. Yes, it was horrible. So it was a blurry film. No wonder film. nobody had TV. Right. It was stupid. On the West Coast, it was stupid. They didn't have... There was a few shows that were produced in LA that were done the opposite way, where the film would get mailed to New York. But for the most part, most of the shows were ma- were done in New York and mailed that way. And it was blurry. And it was awful. Well, Ricky didn't like that. And Philip Morris was really pushing to get them to come to the West, to the East Coast. And R- Desi was like... I just had a baby. I'm not moving. This is where we live. So he said, okay, I want to do that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to film our episodes on film. And then we'll distribute them to everybody. At the same time. At the same time. And they're like, well, you can't do that. And he said, why can't I do that? And they're like, because if you film them on film, then you need to use film studio employees not television employees and the film studio employees and the television employees those are two different unions so desi said okay and he bought a he reconfigured his band company so he had a company that booked his bands and he reconfigured that and made a studio and he called it desi lu studio and all of the people that were employed by him were now film employees in the film union and they filmed the show so he just basically made his own thing yeah yeah so then there was the problem of well it costs more to film this and he said okay lucy and i'll take a thousand dollars less in pay in exchange for that we are going to own 80 percent of these films that we create and we're going to give Oppenheimer 5% and each one of the other, Oppenheimer 10 and each one of the other writers 5 or something. So there was other additional 20% that was filmed to spread out. And this movie studio was like, or CBS was like, well, pff, those are going to be worthless. You're just going to have all this footage, film footage of your show. That's not worth anything. Okay. They didn't hear of the term <laughs> syndication. Because it Desi exist. invented it. Okay. So... He just, this is what they're going to do. So they've got this new, this new company and this new thing. And he decided, hey, here's what I want to do. I don't want to film it with one television camera or one camera and film it the same thing three times. I want three cameras all going at the same time. Do it once. Do it in front of a live audience so that I get their reactions and the actors can react off the audience's reactions and we can get from every angle and then splice it together. And they're like, but that's not been done. It had been done one other time, and that was with um, Amos and Andy and some television sh- or some um, game show. And he said, well, this is what I want to do. So they employed the, like, a huge technique was had been used for Amos and Andy, da-da-da. Desi wanted everything to be perfect. He wanted everything to be pristine. So he says, if we're going to do this three camera technique, everything needs to be shot by each one of the cameras at the same quality. Everything needs to be lighted the same and same wonderfulness. So they hired Carl Friend, F-R-E-U-N-D, Friend, who was a cinematographer who had no interest in television. I don't want to do this. This is stupid, blah, blah, blah. Desi convinced him to come on board. And he would stand there and he would watch. Everything was like super lit so that all three cameras would see the same thing. But he's watching and if if one camera didn't see quite the right thing, remember this is black and white, Mm -hmm. he had cans of paint on the side ranging from white to like slate gray. And if there was something that wasn't quite right, a shadow was hitting somewhere, he would have somebody go in with paint paint the shadow oh my gosh that's so low tech right but it worked because the shows are beautiful so that's what he did it's filmed in real time very few retakes they really tried to play on the audience and play the um 
the, the, the real reactions. He really, Desi was very into realism. Um, one of the best laughs from the studio audience was over 64 seconds long. Oh my gosh, that's way too long. Way too long. There was Nowadays, can you imagine? No, no one would wait. No. They just would never, ever wait. Be- because this was all done on film, they had all these this laughter captured on film. And this laughter was later taken and used as canned laughter for other sitcoms for years and years later. That's crazy. So De- Lucy's mother would go to every taping. She was always in every taping, and, and you could hear this. I kind of want to go back and listen to these now, but you would hear this, uh-oh, and that was Lucy's <laughs> mother. And then Desi, if he was not in the scene and he was laughing, Desi was very, his voice was distinctive. I mean, you can recognize Lucy. it. Well, yes, but his laughter was distinctive, and so you can hear Desi's laughter. So there are sitcoms from the 70s and the 80s that have Lucy's mom's, uh-oh, and Desi's laughter on these shows that they never even heard of, <laughs> let alone went to see. But because of this this canned laughter that they were able to take and steal. This this show is just so cool. I just love, 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 love the show. So the, the three camera technique had became, became standard. So that's another thing that he kind of pioneered. Every, show, every sitcom that's ever shot in front of live audience does the three camera technique. Um, as I had said before, Lucy had several miscarriages prior to giving birth, birth to their first child, Lucy with an IE, right before they started the show. Second season, the show's a hit. Show's wonderful. Everybody loves it. Second season. Oh, guess what? Lucy's pregnant. Ricky Jr. Ricky Jr. But this is a problem because it's like 1952 and you can't show pregnant women on TV. Remember the Dick Van Dyke episodes? Yeah. So you can't show pregnant women on TV. So it had been done one other time before in a 1940s sitcom, Mary Kay and Johnny, who also featured another real life couple. But Desi was very concerned. He said, we can't hide her pregnancy. The last time she was pregnant, she got as big as a house. And that was an actual quote. She got as big as a house. <laughs> so we can't hide this. We have to figure out a way to just write this in. So they decided, okay, we'll just write it into the show. But to make sure that they didn't offend anyone, Desi hired, this is not a joke, a rabbi, a priest, and a minister. (laughs) They walked into a bar. (laughs) To sit and watch each one of the filmings um, to make sure that nothing was objectionable. CBS insisted that they not use the word pregnant. They needed to use the word expecting, which Ricky pronounced specting. And they also found out that Lucy was the only character that could make fun of Ricky's accent. Early on in the show, the writers tried to let some of the other characters make oh, fun of Ricky's accent. No, just f- fell flat. So Lucy was the only one that could make fun of Ricky's ex- accent. But so the the episode where Ricky actually tells Lucy that she's specting, um, it's a very sweet one. It she goes down to the club. And she, where Ricky works, the Tropicana, BT Dubs, and she requests a song, the um, She's Having a Baby song. And it's she's having, having a baby. baby. No, not that one. <laughs> not the 1970s one. But it's like, she's having, my. we're having a baby, my baby and me. Oh, that the one. sweet one. The sweet one. Not the creepy one. No, not the creepy one. Not 1970s Canadian girl. Was that a remake? The Canadian girl, remember? No. What's her name? Don't um, don't remember. Okay. Anyway, I remember. Not her name. But so he is singing this song, and um, she, he finally figures out that it's her, and he he goes she goes up on stage and they're hugging and and dancing and they're crying, and, you know, after multiple miscarriages that moment even if it's pretend between these two characters it was real for lucy and and desi they were really Mm -hmm. having a second baby after multiple miscarriage and it was such a like sweet moment that the the director was like we're keeping it we're not redoing it we're keeping it and so that is actually raw emotion real tears that you see on his and her face because that's a that's a big deal not that having your second child anywhere isn't a big deal but after multiple miscarriage it's just a little more um scary and exciting and oh my god are we gonna do this again and you know all of that 
But anyway, so Philip Morris, still a sponsor, insisted that a pregnant Lucy not be seen smoking. Oh, interesting. In 1952. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Good for them. Lucy had a scheduled C-section because she'd had a C-section with Lucy, so she was going to have a C-section with um, yeah, Ricky like Jr. Yeah, then you had to. Or Ricky Jr., Desi Arnaz Jr. I can't believe I've done that twice. Well, interestingly, her OB typically did all of his, his C-sections on Mondays. Well, that's when the I Love Lucy show aired. Oh, can't do that. Well, no, they did. Oh, so they what did. they decided to do was we're going to make a thing of this. And so they decided to have... Lucy Arnez have her baby on the same day as Lucy Ricardo. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so they planned the whole episode around um, Lucy giving birth for them to air that same day that Lucy was giving birth. The original idea was to have the Ricardos have whatever gender baby the Arnezes had. But the writers were like, "Can't wait, dude, we can't do this. Yeah. This doesn't work. So Jess Oppenheimer said, fine. Lucy Ricardo is going to have a boy. So when um, the, the episode aired, it had a 71.7% share That's of the ratings. unreal. It was only surpassed by Elvis's first appearance on Ed Sullivan. And President Eisenhower was sworn in the next day. I Love Lucy beat him. Oh, wow. Yeah. I Love Lucy was typically in the top. Like, they could actually tell um, water usage went down, telephone usage went down. Some stores closed their doors. I Love Lucy's on. We're closed for Lucy. Like, it was a thing. Just on a regular Monday. But the Monday that she's having the baby, it was a thing. So, Desi in the hospital. Desi calls up Jess Oppenheimer after the baby is born. And he says... um, Lucy followed your script. Ain't she something? (laughs) Because Lucy had a boy and Lucy had had a boy. So it was pretty cool. So now they had ordered, they typically did 39 episodes. Well, Lucy's having a baby. We can't do 39 episodes. Desi has a plan. Desi's plan is that he's going to have him, Ricky, and the Mertzes sitting around the apartment reminiscing about old times. Oh, he was the first flashback show. Yes. So because it was all on film, they had it all. So they were reminiscing about old times, and then they would show the clips of the flashback shows. Flashback episode. Wow. Desi invented it. So this was a huge hit. Everybody thought it was wonderful. So then Desi got another idea. Because well, back t- then you couldn't go wa- rewatch stuff. You couldn't go rewatch stuff. So that gave Desi another idea, and that was they would order however many episodes, 39 or however many episodes that they normally did, and then in the summertime, during that time slot, when the show was on summer hiatus, there's Big Dog wandering around. Um, when the show was on summer hiatus, they would fill those slots with like a variety show or, or some something other dumb. form of entertainment. Something dumb, exactly. He was like, hey... They watched us before. Lucy, I got reruns. He put in reruns. So Desi invented the rerun. And then because of the re- so the the so the bumpers between the different commercials and the opening credits had been dr- they were little stick figure cartoons drawn by future Flintstones creator Gene Hazelton. Hmm. And they would be doing things like climbing up a box of fill up more cigarettes or climbing up a box of cheer detergent or whatever the sponsor was for that episode well oops you can't do that in reruns because they're not sponsoring that episode oh so when when we watched i love lucy we saw this heart logo on satin that was drawn for the rerun specifically, and it was based on a piece of jewelry that Desi had get, given Lucy for her 29th birthday. Because clearly a, we've only seen reruns. We've only seen reruns, yes, because it stopped in 1956. So the, it was a piece of heart jewelry with a heart pillow cushion lapel pin um, that was diamond encrusted, and so they made this logo based off that. Um, the Mertzes, the show was set in New York City, and the Ricardos lived in apartment three. I think they started in four something, but they ended up in 3D when the, the 3B. 
and the Mertzes lived in 3Ds because they moved downstairs closer. At 623 East 68th Street, the, in real life, 68th Street ends in the 500s, um, but their apartment was 623, and they rented the apartment for $105 a month. <gasps> no. You Yeah, you can't get an apartment in Podunk, Minnesota, or wherever, for $105 a month, let alone downtown Manhattan. Yeah. Um, some of the iconic episodes have fun facts tied to them. Lucy was absolutely petrified of birds. The Superman episode for Little Ricky's fifth birthday called for her to be on a ledge with pigeons landing all over her, and she did it like a trooper, stood there, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the original episodes, I've told you to remind me about the tax man. One of the original episodes that the writers wrote called for Ricky to fudge numbers on um, his tax returns. And he said, no, I came to this country and I drove, I don't know, he'd like clean bird cages or something. He did something lowly and now he's inventing television. He's like, I'm not going to cheat this country. This country made me. So I would never, ever cheat this country. I don't want people to think that about me. So he refused to do it. Good for him. Exactly. Um, the candy episode, the very famous yes. candy episode. So the woman who's standing there that slaps Lucy in the face was an actual C's Candy employee. Oh. Yeah, she had worked for C's Candy for over 30 years. When they asked her, so she was worked for C's Candy. She dipped, this is what she did every day for eight hours. Took a piece of chocolate, dipped it in chocolate, put a swirl on it. Took another piece, dipped it in chocolate, put a swirl on it. And they said, what do you think of TV? And she said, I've never been so bored in my whole life. <laughs> which seems crazy. Um, the grape stomping episode. Yeah, I love that one. The co-star did not speak english so they told her to wrestle with lucy she didn't understand that they were only going to shoot it from the waist up so all she needed to do was like take her shoulders and shake her around she wrestled her <laughs> so there was a point where she had like lucy underneath the grapes and lucy nearly passed out because she was being choked. she almost drowned in wine she almost drowned in wine because um this woman didn't understand but they put it all in um the to get the people to donate the grapes, the vineyards in the area to donate the grapes necessary for that episode, they had to promise them that they would say that foot stomping is an outmoded method for making wine oh. in the episode because they did not want that out there. Yeah, that, they didn't that's want to how be associated with that. Yeah. Um, Ricky was very much a stickler for realism in his episodes. So in that same episode, even though it's shot in black and white, he insisted that they come up with a purplish blue dye to cover Lucy in after the fight because she was fighting in grapes, so she would be dyed purple and blue. Well, yeah. I mean, that would show up a little bit in black and a white. A little bit, but he absolutely insisted on this. He was the... Remember the episode with the big piece of bread that pops out? Like the... Um, it's called Pioneer Woman, and the bread pops out of the oven? No. Okay, so it's Pioneer Woman, and they have to do everything before 1898 or whatever. And so Lucy and Ethel are making bread, and they make this big loaf oh, of bread. They have this big thing of dough, and they put it in the oven, and then they open yeah. the oven, and this big, huge, long loaf of bread pops out. So they had a bakery in New York make an eight-foot-long loaf of bread. Holy cow. It was rye bread. They cut it up and served it to the audience afterwards. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. hilarious. Can you imagine? There was an episode when they were in Miami where they went deep sea fishing. The men and the women went deep sea fishing and they tried to fool each other by buying a tuna and pawning it off as if they mm -hmm. caught it. So in order to pull that off, he had 200-pound tuna shipped from San Francisco packed in child-sized coffins and ice. <gasps> oh, that's hilarious. So when they're like struggling to hold this tuna... They're really struggling to hold that tuna because it's 100 pounds. It's crazy. So everything was real in the episodes except for Ricky's height. Desi was actually much shorter than Lucy. So Desi wore four-inch lifts in his shoes. Yeah. And the edge of the cushion on Ricky's side of the love seat had extra cushions in it. Oh, my god! So gosh. that he would sit higher than Lucy when he sat down. Um, so you hear people talk about jump the shark. Yeah. And typically shows will do different tropes to keep from jumping the shark. Those all came from Desi too. 
So have a baby. The Ricardos had a baby. Get a wacky cousin? Get a wack. Well, they didn't get a wacky cousin, did they? I'm trying to think. I don't think so. But they did move. They went to Hollywood. Then they went to Europe. Then they went to Florida. Then they moved to the country. Every So he, he kind of invented all these different things. And I don't think he was doing it to keep his show from jumping did a shark. Did he jump a shark, though? I don't think so. The Connecticut episodes are not as good as the New York episodes. But I think they still hold up. But I love No, Lucy. I mean, did he literally jump a shark? Because Happy Days did that. Happy Days did that. No, he did not. Desi Arnaz never literally jumped a shark that I know of. Desi Arnaz Jr. may have because, you know, that was the time. But, um, no, just, yes, Happy Days, Fonzie jumped a shark. That was where the term comes from. He kept up with the business end of things he actually ended up purchasing more and more space they eventually owned the old RKO studio where they were contract players RKO yes well it became Desi Lu and it was kind of cool because they they owned that studio and in order to finance purchasing that studio they sold their quote unquote worthless films of I Love Lucy back to CBS. Oh, they did? For over $4 million. Oh, okay. I mean. this is So this is still in the like 50s and 60s. And he sells them back for over $4 million. Imagine what they're worth now. Yeah. Can't even no. think. Yeah. Um, the six-year run of the original show was from October 15th, 1951 to May 6th of 1957. After that original show, they produced 180 episodes. In 1957, they decided to switch to an hour-long format and produce only 13 episodes in a year where they focused more on guest stars and locations. This is where Vivian Vance got to be prettier. And they went on more exotic trips and things. And then they intermixed with other shows. It was called the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour. And they intermixed other short little small like mm -hmm. one hour shorts in um the other weeks that they were not on um the arnez marriage really began to suffer it was never great to begin with but it really began to suffer at this time ricky was just kind of overwhelmed with everything that he was doing with the studio and his business um he was always a womanizer and lucy had just ricky desi 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 was the actual man ricky was the character sorry folks and Lucy was just kind of fed up with it. So on the final episode, which aired on April 1st, it's called Lucy Meets the Mustache. She gives Ricky a very passionate, playful kiss. And when they filmed, when Lucy and Desi filmed that episode, it was on Desi's birthday. And the very next day, Lucy filed for a divorce. Ooh. And so by the time the show aired, the public was aware of this. And it just became very like sad yeah very sad um they loved each other to the very end in fact desi arnez's last words to lucy were i love you sweetheart he she ended up this was interesting to me she ended up buying him out of the studio and in the late 60s she was the first female head of a studio oh and she was like a big boss she took on stuff she greenlit green lit star trek no one else wanted to do star trek i remember hearing lucy that. took yeah. on star trek and it's become like this thing. And the force is with you. Oh, that's no, Star that's Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so it was it was quite a thing. Um, the show has gone. It's just iconic and amazing through syndication and reruns, all thanks to Ricky and his insistent Desi and his insistence on film. We still have it. It's never been off the air. It's somewhere on the air almost at all times. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite ever TV shows. Okay, so now that I've taken all of our time and everyone is completely bored with this episode, what are you going to tell me about? So I'm going to tell you about the murders of Allison Parker and Adam Ward. Okay. Thanks to Wikipedia for this one, by the way. Awesome Wikipedia. So August 26, 2015, news reporter Allison Parker and photojournalist Adam Ward were conducting a live interview at Bridgewater Plaza in Moneta, Virginia. They were both employed by WDBJ, which was a CBS affiliate in Roanoke, Virginia. So they're newscaster people? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Like an anchor and... And they're on a location? Yes. So they were interviewing 
Vicki Gardner, who was the executive director of the local chamber of commerce. Uh-huh. And at 6.46 a.m., which was about midway through their live segment, all three of them were attacked by a gunman. Oh, my. Except for I just realized I wrote attached by a gunman. <laughs> he, like, walked and said, hi, y'all. <laughs> 6.46 a.m., some dude just starts shooting at them. Yes. Or did he hit them over the head with a gun? Because you said <laughs> He did not attach them. He attacked Sorry. them. <laughs> had too much to drink. Parker and Ward died at the scene. Gardner survived. Uh, there was video. That's horrible. Yeah. On air. On air. There was video of the incident showing Parker conducting the interview before eight gunshots were heard, followed by screams. Ward's camera fell to the ground, and it captured a brief image of the assailant who was holding a Glock 9 millimeter pistol. Wow. Yeah. So it's a pistol that he's attaching them with. Yes, he attached them. So the producers quickly switched back to the anchor and then See, news- I had a picture of a rifle, sorry. Yeah, no. He was it was up close. So the producer quickly switched back to the anchor in the news studio, who was like appeared pretty confused about what had just happened. Yeah, think? And she later said that she believed that it was just a car backfiring. What? Yeah, because it would just sound like pop, 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 mm-hmm. pop, pop. So according to the state medical examiner's office, Parker died from gunshot wounds to her head and chest, while Ward died from shots to his head and torso. Gardner, who was the person being interviewed, she was shot in the back after she had curled up into a fetal position and tried to play dead. And she's the one that lived? Mm-hmm. There were 15 shots in total fired. Okay. 15 shots? Yeah. How many shots does the typical magazine hold? Is it like nine? Um, yeah, I think so. How did he shoot 15? He could have... Drop it and pop it? Yeah. Well, then why aren't there people attacking him? If he has time to drop one magazine, pop another one in, and continue to shoot. Because it's 6.46 a.m. and he's at, like, a plaza on a lake. Well, see, if it were nowadays, there'd be a Starbucks there. And it would have 13 (laughs) dozen people. It was 2015, (laughs) so it is nowadays. Well, then why isn't there Starbucks there with 20 people? (laughs) So, right after the incident, the WDBJ staff immediately started reviewing the camera footage that they had gotten from Ward's camera, and they identified the gunman as Vester Lee Flanagan II, who had previously... That's why he killed him. His name was Vester. Vester, yeah. He'd previously worked at WDBJ using the professional name Bryce Williams. Because you can't say, I'm Vester Vester Lee Flanagan. (laughs) You cannot. You have to say, I'm Bryce Williams. Um... So it's just a workplace shooting. He's just a disgruntled idiot Mm -hmm. who was not good at his job and blamed other people for it. Yeah. So the station's general manager, Jeffrey Marks, immediately notified the sheriff's office that they had identified Flanagan. Um, So now here's some info about Mm. Flanagan. Let's call him Vester. Vester was born in Oakland, California in 1973. He attended San Francisco State University. He earned a degree in radio and television in 1995. And then he interned at KPIX in San Francisco. He was a production assistant and I a weekend like news I've writer. I feel like I've heard of that call letters. Yeah, KPIX is like a big station in yeah. the Bay Area. I've, I've seen, I know I've watched it like yeah. my, when I was in the Bay Area. So from 97 to 99, Flanagan worked at an, as a news reporter in Savannah, Georgia, and then in 99, he began as a reporter for an NBC affiliate in Tallahassee, Florida. So during this time, Flanagan accused other coworkers of making offensive comments about his sexual orientation. And in 2000 what? In 1999. Okay, maybe. That's reasonable. Yeah. So the sports reporter at the station said that Flanagan verbally abused two female staffers on several occasions after they pointed out mistakes in his reporting. And several photographers tried. So he's to, one of those. Yes. Yeah, several photographers tried to get out of working with Flanagan due to his "quote unquote" diva behavior. The name like Vester, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm picking on his name. If you're a Vester, I'm sorry. It's not his fault that his name's Vester. It's not his especially fault because, because he's a second. <laughs> so in March, of what two- an idiot! I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he's an idiot. He's an idiot. So in March of 2000... I'm mad! I'm going to go shoot people! Mad! (laughs) 
In March of 2000, which was like almost exactly a year later, Flanagan lost his job in Tallahassee due to quote unquote odd behavior. He filed a civil lawsuit against the station and he alleged racial discrimination and the lawsuit was settled for unspecified terms. I just saw a husband driving around in a little car that hasn't run for over a year. I'm impressed. Oh, I thought you were going to make comments about big dog snoring. Big dog snoring? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that, y'all. He's a bulldog. (laughs) He snores. So, again, oh, in April of 2012, WDBJ, which is the station that Ward and... um, June? No, the uh, Parker and Ward worked for. Okay. Like, we're talking about prime time. Yeah. So they hired That's Flanagan. That's a Leave It to Beaver reference, folks. <laughs> it's also from the 50s. You probably don't know it. So the station that Parker and Ward worked for hired Flanagan as a multimedia journalist, and this is when he began using the professional name Bryce, Bryce Williams. Bryce Williams. And again... I'm Bryce Williams. I'm going to shoot you today. <laughs> I'm getting, like, I'm getting, like, uh, not flashbacks, but, like, remembrances from... What's the guy's name on The Simpsons that's the reporter? Oh, what's The Simpsons reporter's name? I don't know. Uh, Liar. We're obsessed with it. Why would I know? I don't know. You were obsessed with it when you were, like, five. My five-year-old brain memorized the name. Probably. Have you met you? Have you met you? Is it your first day? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my children were obsessed with The Simpsons at five. I'm not a good parent. Um, The Simpsons. Simpsons. (laughs) I literally bought two copies of the movie on DVD in case one broke. Yes. Um, what is his name? I'm Bryce Williams. Okay, I'm Googling it. It's not Bryce Williams. Obviously. Google machine. Do we have, what's that called? Bumper music? Simpsons. We need some rump or something. Simpsons news anchor. You have to leave some of this in because it's kind of funny. Simpsons news anchor. It's coming. Google machine. Except for the fact that we're on Wi-Fi, so it's slow. Do you find that Wi-Fi works slower when it's hot out? I'm not insane. When it's hot out, my phone works less fast. We need bumper music or bumper sound effects. Transition sound effects. Yeah, this isn't going to work. I don't know. It's somebody. Is yours faster? Now we have to know. (laughs) I literally Googled it. I don't know why it's taking so long. Kent Brockman. I'm Kent Brockman. (laughs) How do you know that? Because Google Machine told me. Kent Brockman. Kent Brockman. I'm Kent Brockman. So Kent Brockman, (laughs) a.k.a. Bryce Williams. Kent Brockman has never shot anyone and don't disparage him like that. So 2012, he's working at... Don't poke the dog. We're recording. With the broom. Okay, okay. Okay. So it's 2012, he's working at WDBJ as a multimedia journalist. And again, there were conflicts with other reporters and photographers. Oh, I'm sensing a pattern. Yeah, so he was ordered by WDBJ to seek health care after complaints that his coworkers were feeling threatened or uncomfortable. I'm assuming they meant like mental health care. They didn't state that. <laughs> Please go get your shin looked at because. Go get no- a shot. <laughs> go get a shot. People don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing inaudibly because that was so funny. Um, child number one is trying to feed Big Dog a lemon. And he won't go. It's very unsuccessful. So, <laughs> anyway. He does not want that. In February of 2013, Flanagan was dismissed by WDBJ because of his volatile behavior. And he lashed out in the newsroom after staffers like towards staffers when they learned of his firing and he had to be escorted by police out of the building. Okay, so he's like that guy that like screams and yells. He's having a tantrum. He's having a tantrum. Does he ever like think maybe, maybe, maybe it's him. I'm fired because I act like this? So let's see. 
I've been fired from five jobs. What do those five jobs have in common? Oh, me. (laughs) I feel like if he was able to do that, he wouldn't be where he is now. In prison, I hope. So after the firing, WDBJ hired security at their station. Oh, good on them. And they directed employees to call 911 if he ever returned to the station. Okay. On site, call 911. Yeah. That says something about your personality right there, boy. Major red flags. So Flanagan filed an EEOC complaint against the station. And again, he was alleging racial discrimination. They're being mean to me. They said if I come on set, they're going to call 911 just because I threatened some people. And they, he specifically named Parker in the complaint. I'm going to sue. So... The EEOC took a look at it and immediately dismissed it. They're like, this is uncorroborated. There's Good. nothing here. So Okay, why was he alleging racism? What race is he? He's black. Okay. Not really relevant. Well, it's basically it's his first day everywhere he goes. He doesn't understand cues. Right. And what was his name again? Vector? Vester. Vester. Yeah. So... I was, okay. After he was fired, he... And he goes by Bryce. Bryce Williams. Not known a lot of black Bryces. Don't really know, no. I don't know a lot of... I know I work with a Bryce. Do you work with a Bryce? Mm -hmm. He's white. Yeah. White Bryce. (laughs) White white Bryce. (laughs) I'm not a racist, but Bryce seems like a very white bread name to me. Um, yeah, so... Like it needs to be added by a third or a... um, the funny thing is, he is a second. He's a Vester Lee Flanagan the second. He could have just went by Lee, Lee been, Flanagan. Or, um, I was going to say Tur, but that doesn't work. Vess. Vess Tur. Vess. Les. Les Nesman. Les Nesman. Who is Les Nesman? Les Nesman From someone. WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> that is something. Um, so he got, he started working at United Health. He's licking his paw rather than your concoction of lemon and berry. Okay, let me finish this. Sorry. Oh, wait, I said ketchup on it. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, let me finish this. Okay, finish your vlog. Because I don't want to edit three hours of it. (laughs) So after being fired from WDBJ, Flanagan got a job at United Healthcare in a call center. I was just going to say, did you say United Healthcare? Yes. United Healthcare. I worked there. In a call center? Uh Uh-huh. In, with Vester Lee Flanagan? No, I was in um, Northern California, nondescript city, NorCal. Well, by this time, I know you weren't. This was like 2013, so. No, I was not working there in 2013. Yeah. I worked there in like 2001. 2000. <laughs> I think, in fact, I think I was there for WY2K. WY2K for Y2K because. <laughs> We were all very concerned. So Flanagan had a Facebook and a Twitter account. And on both of the platforms, he continually posted all his claims of racial discrimination, especially targeted at WDBJ. And again, he specifically named Parker and Ward in some of his posts. What did they have to do with any of it? Don't know. They were just people who worked there as well. Yeah. So on the day of the shooting... After Parker and Ward had already been killed, Flanagan uploaded a 56-second video of the incident to his Facebook and Twitter accounts. He took his own video. He took a video of him shooting people and yeah. then put it on his Facebook. Yeah. So Because he is a scholar. He's a narcissist. Apparently. Who? Why? That's so dumb. So his accounts were suspended by Facebook and Twitter once they learned of the you incident. think? So they're not out there anymore. But the video shows Flanagan walking up to the scene of the live interview. He brandished the handgun for about 15 seconds without anyone noticing. And then he pointed the gun at Parker and muttered, bitch. He lowered the gun. Then he raised it again and opened fire at Parker. And Parker screamed and attempted to escape. Okay, who was taking this video? Was it like a selfie type situation? Yeah, that you have the... yeah, he took it himself. And then he put it on the internet, on his own page. Yeah. Brainiac, he is not. So, the this is the worst part of it, though, 
about the video is it appears that Flanagan waited until the news cameras were pointed at Parker before he <gasps> fired to sh- try to ensure that the incident was shown live on the air. That's disgusting. Yeah. What if you were a little kid watching TV that day? I mean, you may have been home from school, mm-hmm. sick, laying on the couch, and mom turned the news on. Well, it's 6.46 a.m. You could be sitting there with your cereal. You could be sitting there with your cereal. Over cereal. Oh, look, mommy, that woman's head just exploded. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's horrible. So then... Oh, what a pig. Two hours after the shooting, ABC News, like the main ABC News Bureau, received a 23-page fax that was allegedly sent by Flanagan... And he titled the facts... 23-page facts? Yeah. How long did that take to print out of the fax machine? How long does it take to print 23 pages? Way too long (laughs) to wait for his stupid ass. So he titled the facts, Suicide Note for Friends and Family. Or for... That's not a suicide note. That's a suicide novel. He actually titled it Suicide Note for Friend and Family. Not Friends. (laughs) Because he wanted to make sure that that was point that was known yeah and he again he talked about racial discrimination he also Poor talked him. about sexual harassment committed <laughs> by is he gay yes so he also talked about sexual harassment committed by black men and white women in the workplace and he be- um specifically only black men and white women yes. are sexual harassers okay. yes just them i've never been harassed by a sexually harassed by a black man or a white woman i don't think i don't recall I don't know. I grew up in the 80s, so sexual harassment is different for me. Yeah. Because. Yeah, 80s. 80s. <laughs> so Flanagan believed that he was targeted because he was a gay black man. And also in the note, he made reference to the Charleston church shooter, the Columbine High School shooters, and the September 11th attacks. And then. Oh, because those are things to look up to. Yeah. And then he wrote, quote unquote, my anger has been building steadily. I've been a human powder cake for a while, just waiting to go Boom. Then if you're a human powder cake, powder cake on yourself, idiot. Yeah. So at 10 a.m., Flanagan phoned ABC News and he made a confession over the phone. Because they weren't going to catch him otherwise. And the, yeah, and the authorities used this phone call to track his cell phone and locate him. So they found his car abandoned at Roanoke Blackburg Regional Airport. And then... It's creepy to think that he was in Northern California. Yeah. So then he drove a rented Chevy Sonic. He was Chevy Sonic. That's the little car the husband just drove oh, by the road. That is the little car. So now it you comes can, full circle. Now you can completely. Now you can completely imagine this. So he's completely. It's a very small car. He's on I sixty six and an automated automated license plate reader in a Virginia State Trooper's car alerted on the Sonic at eleven twenty a.m. The trooper called for backup and attempted to stop the Sonic, but it sped away. No, it didn't. It drove away. (laughs) It it putted away. At a a reasonable speed. (laughs) After a pursuit of less than two miles, the car ran off the... Sonic. (laughs) (laughs) We love Chevys. (laughs) We do love Chevy. I drive another Chevy. So after a pursuit of less than two miles, the car ran off the side of the road and struck an embankment. <laughs> Flanagan was found inside the car with a gunshot wounds, which were apparently self-inflicted and happened while he was driving. Did he shoot himself in the shoulder? No. Head. Oh, so he was actually maybe trying? Yeah, so Flanagan was taken to a hospital in Falls Church, Virginia, where he's declared dead, and when officers searched Flanagan's rental car, the Sonic, they found a Glock pistol with several magazines and ammo, an iPhone, letters, notes, a to-do list, to-do list, and a suitcase containing three license plates and several disguises and a wig. So he was trying to get away. He was trying to get away. Despite the suicide note to friend and he family. He was kind of trying to get away because he had his plan, I think, all along. To, and then he did shoot himself yeah. in the head. So here's a couple other similar cases that happened live on the air. So in June 28th of 2018... A mass shooting occurred at the offices of the Capitol, a newspaper serving Annapolis, Maryland, and the gunman shot and killed five employees with a shotgun, and two other two others were injured while trying to escape. I cannot imagine just sitting there watching the news, and then someone's head explodes. Yeah. And then, this is super famous, and I didn't write down what year it happened, but Christine Chubbick was an American television news reporter who worked for WTOG and WXLT in Florida, and she's known for being the first person to commit suicide on a live television broadcast. What? Yeah, it's it's jarring. <laughs> what did she do? Just brings her hand up and shoots herself. 
That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. I kind of want to see it. That was, wow. I am an expert on I, Lucy. Not an expert on live TV crimes, but... (laughs) Let's hope not. We're just drunks. We're absolutely drunks, especially after this episode. Hey, so we're going to be going all kinds of fun places this summer, and a lot of other people are. So I have an idea. Okay, what's your idea? What if when you and I go places, we leave a card? And then what do we do with the card? Well, if people find the card, they can take a picture of themselves with the card and email us. And then what? Well, if they email us a picture of them with the card and their mailing address, we'll send them a sticker. Our stickers are kind of awesome. Our stickers are totally awesome. Okay, so where can they reach us? They can reach us at crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. That's our email. And you can also reach us on social media at crimeandtimeotr. And that's for Facebook. Or Instagram at crimeandtimeotr. Or Twitter at crimeandtimeotr. Right. But email us the pictures of you with our cards at crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. So we'll be sure to see it. Also, if you have any cocktail suggestions or stories you want to hear, let us know. Right. Totally. And when we see the picture of you with the card, you get a sticker. And you get a sticker. And you get a sticker. And you get a sticker. (laughs) 